0: mm mm-hmm. the ladies the podcast where we talk about women from mythology and folklore all over the world we're your hosts i'm lizzie and i'm zoe and lizzie how's it going it's going all right (laughs) i'm very nervous because i start my new job tomorrow ooh what's your new job
1: i'm going to be working in an office for the first time in years Mm -hmm.
0: yes doing just editing wow girl boss i know Mm -hmm. how are you I'm all right. I am almost done with the semester, which is crazy and stressful, and I feel like I'm behind on everything, but somehow it'll all get done. It's also stressful because I'm hoping to leave school early so I can go meet up with Lizzie, um, which is really exciting, but it does mean that I need to get things done early, (laughs) so that is, in fact, stressful, but yeah. Worth it, hopefully. Hopefully everything works out. I think it will be worth it, but yeah. I have to really buckle down and white knuckle and buckle, as they say, really get everything going so I can do like that. Most people listening would not assume that we've never actually met in person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fun fact. We've never actually met in person. So this will so be that's really exciting. That is the significance. That is the That's a why long I'm- time. That's why I'm putting my academic career on the line. Um, is to go see? That's an exaggeration, I promise. Um, but to go see Lizzie in real life for the first time ever, sparks will fly. It'll be magical. <laughs> there'll be tremors across the world, and I'm very excited exactly. for it. Um, however, it does mean I have to write my paper early, so... Less excited for that. Yeah, that sucks. Mm, it is what it is, though, as they say. <laughs> anyway, before we begin, just a reminder to everyone that we have a Kofi that you can donate to. And if you donate to it one time or recurring, you can get access to our bonus episodes, which is really cool. We have three bonus episodes now, and they're all really fun to listen to. And also, if you'd like to listen to them on a major podcasting platform, you can subscribe to us on Spotify for $5 a month. And then you can listen to our bonus episodes there as well. So that'll be cool and fun. And anyways, Lizzie, who are we talking
1: about today? Uh, Today we're going to talk about somebody pretty exciting. Well, I think she's exciting. Oh. Sedna
0: (gasps) from Inuit Mythology. Oh my gosh, awesome. What do you know about her? Okay, so I know she is I know she's from Inuit mythology and I know she's associated with like the water and the ocean. Correct. And I want to say maybe like water creatures as well. Yeah. I've looked into her many times, but obviously I've never actually done her before because here we are now. Um, (laughs) But she seems very cool, and I'm excited to learn more about her. I think she's very powerful and maybe a little scary, but like more in a a powerful way than like an evil way. Yeah, exactly.
1: That's exactly correct. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So tell me about her.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty excited because I've been wanting to learn about her for a while, and now I know a lot about her. Wow. I love how that works out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So she is a spirit associated with the sea from Inuit mythology, Mm -hmm. and her myth exists across the Arctic from Greenland to Labrador northern Canada to Alaska and Siberia, where she is viewed as wow. one of the most important and powerful deities. Yeah. That's a really big spread. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. And her legend is very important in daily life, as she governs sea animals such as seals and
0: walruses. Yes. I knew there was a walrus connection. I knew it.
1: <laughs> she has many names associated with her, which vary a lot by region, and some of the names are recorded for her include uh names with translations like the poor wife the girl she down there terrible one down there the big woman she who never wished to marry she who gives useful things and many other names obviously in the native languages not in english and yeah i think she's awesome so now we'll we'll get into the legend do you do you Know anything about her legend?
0: Well, I'm guessing she refused to marry because of some of those names. Yeah. (laughs) Said she who refused to marry. So that's my guess. Mm -hmm. That's right.
1: Yeah. So obviously, these tales were from oral tradition, as most are. And there are a lot of variations. It varies a lot by region and just in general. I didn't include every single variation that I saw, Mm -hmm. but we'll get into like the main points. Mm-hmm. So a lot of versions start with Sedna's father wanting her to get married And she refuses to get married to any man her father picks out for her But she does eventually get married anyway, but not to a human oh. In some, she marries a dog And in some, she is wooed by and then marries a bird Often a fulmar, which is a type of seabird Okay, And the the dog one, sometimes she chooses the dog And sometimes her father is kind of like Well, if you will not have any of the men, then you have to marry this dog, you know Okay, And Mm -hmm. then the bird, the fulmar, offered her a happy and comfortable life. Okay. And then when she goes with him, she finds out that he deceived her, and she leads a miserable life instead. Oh. And so then her father comes to visit and sees how unhappy his daughter is. And so he either tries to take her away or else kills the bird that she married. And either way, a storm is created in retaliation either by the deceased bird's friends or by the bird himself, if he wasn't killed, mm-hmm. as Sedna and her father try to escape by boat. Her father attempts to save himself by throwing her overboard.
0: Ah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and she manages to hold on to the boat by her fingers, and her father cuts off her fingers one by one, or sometimes her fingers followed by her hands, and her severed fingers become whales, seals, and walruses, and her fingernails become Oh my whale-borne. gosh. Pretty crazy.
0: Wow! Yeah, that is crazy. Side
1: note: I think it's so interesting that like her story is like it's like so many things. Like it's a creation story. Like it's ah, uh, it's very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She then sinks to the bottom of the sea and becomes Sedna, the goddess. Cool. She was a human girl before, if that wasn't clear. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting. Yeah,
1: and now she lives at the bottom of the sea. So another version. This one is specifically from Netsilik. Sedna is an orphan who is thrown overboard by the people moving to a new settlement. She hangs on by her fingers, which are chopped off and then turn into seals, and then she sinks to the bottom of the ocean and becomes Nuliauk, okay, aka Sedna. Uh-huh, uh-huh. In a version from Baffin Island, Sedna was traveling with her family in a kayak when a storm began. Her parents blamed her for the storm and threw her overboard. She clung onto the kayak until her father severed her fingers one by one, which then transformed into sea creatures. I see. Yeah, something interesting, kind of a side note. Apparently the biggest variations in her story appear in Baffin Island, which was likely due to Christian influences on her story. Okay. Just a fun fact. Interesting. And so sometimes the stories end with her falling to the bottom of the sea and becoming Sedna, but other times Sedna gets revenge upon her father. Uh-huh. Sedna's father makes it to shore unharmed, but Sedna allows dogs to chew off her father's feet and hands while he sleeps. Ouch. And in at least one version, Sedna's father drowns himself and joins her at the bottom of the sea. Nice. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) another variation that sometimes occurs is that she loses an eye, either during a struggle with an oar while she attempted to cling onto the boat or because her father stabbed her with a knife. Mm -hmm. And there are also cases where her story is told without giving her a name. Um, A story recorded in the 1800s that relays the origin of sea mammals tells the story of a woman who had lost her husband who lived among strangers who she relied on for charity. They decided to move locations by boat, and they decided that she was a burden to them. And threw her overboard Mm, She clung to the side of the boat But they cut off her fingers And they turned into a walrus, a seal, and a polar bear And the woman despaired as she sank into the water And declared that she would have revenge Nice And now, when seals and walruses see a human They escape to avoid the cruel fate of the woman And the polar bear, which lives both on land and in the sea Attacks humans when it sees them out of revenge
0: Nice, I like that. Yeah,
1: and you, that story didn't call her Sedna or anything, but you, it's clear it's the same story.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it definitely is the same story type. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of variations. I think the most common ones involve her father and her marrying an, an animal. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like the main part of her story, the one that occurs in basically every story is her being thrown into the sea, hanging onto the boat, her fingers got chopped off, and they turn into sea creatures, often seals, Mm -hmm. sometimes walruses, Mm -hmm. and polar bears. And then she becomes who she is known as the spirit, the deity Sedna. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And so the revenge aspect of Sedna's story is important in understanding her place in Inuit culture. She is usually seen as a vengeful and fearsome goddess who controls animals and therefore controls people's livelihood as obviously they rely on animals for food and clothes. She can grant good fortune to those who please her and bad fortune to those who don't, and therefore it's very important to appease her. Mm-hmm. Which, I I think it's cool that, like, her story, she is definitely, like, a victim, but she becomes extremely vengeful. I mean, she's yeah. extremely... She's very scary and fearsome, and uh-huh. people live in fear of her. Yeah. But I, I think that's cool that that is the result of her tragic story, I guess, mm-hmm. that she becomes vengeful. Anyway. So, this varies by region, but some examples of trying to appease her include offerings, such as seal skin, People would also throw broken knives, worn-out harpoon heads, and pieces of meat and bone into the water. Okay. And humans must also avoid taboos that might anger the goddess, such as not adhering to rituals or other rules guiding Inuit life. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so she, like, keeps the people in check. Uh She's like, you have to follow these rules
0: or you won't
1: have animals, basically.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's very interesting.
1: Yeah. And what important thing to mention is the relationship between human transgressions and Sedna's hair. Mm. Though Sedna's hair is not mentioned in the myth, it's an important symbol of her relationship with the Inuit and a gauge of her well-being. Human transgressions enrage Sedna, Mm -hmm. which causes her hair to become tangled and disheveled and be full of lice and sea debris. This can also result mm. in storms and, of course, a lack of animals that could result in famine. And when this happened to be a anakuk, a spiritual healer or shaman in Inuit culture, to visit her and comb and braid her hair for her. Oh. And that would solve the problems. It would be like, oh, we... Displeased you and a shaman, the shaman talks to you and Mm -hmm. does your hair, and then everything's fine again for a period. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So examples of human transgressions that can cause her hair to become dirty include violations of traditional observances in the spheres of hunting, birth, and death, One example from the Cumberland Sound area of Baffin Island is that Sedna is known to dislike land animals, Oh, so land and sea animals could not be hunted or eaten together. Interesting. And another example I saw was that hunters had to pour fresh water into the mouths of animals they just killed because this is a time when they're thought to be especially thirsty. Interesting. Okay. So these are examples of rules that people can
0: disobey that cause her anger. Would make her mad. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. And also it's noted that the complexity of these rules is greater in coastal areas as opposed to inland areas. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And this may have to do with the volatile nature of the marine environment, which is obviously more of a threat to coastal groups.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking, is that if you're yeah. closer to the ocean, you're more concerned about enraging the ocean gods than if you live like in the mid- in yeah. a totally landlocked area, then it's like, well, that's not great, but we're not that close. Yeah, it's more, it's more of a present threat when that is yeah. the environment that you're in. Yeah, if you're not as close to the ocean, it's not as big a part of your life and not something you need to worry about as much as if you're close and it's constantly on your mind it's a huge part of like how you make your livelihood
1: yeah exactly and also sometimes it's part of her myth that she rules Adlivoon, the Inuit underworld ooh which I don't have like that many details on it but that's that's
0: pretty cool is it like an undersea thing is that are they associated with each other is the underworld like under I, the ocean? I don't
1: know if it's meant to be under the sea but it's definitely meant to be like a cold frigid kind of wasteland type of thing okay
0: very interesting not very nice
1: yeah. To my understanding, the underworld is separate from her, like, bottom-of-the-sea home. It's, like, two different domains. That's my understanding. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So she's also very powerful. She's very powerful, and in many different ways. hmm But, so yeah, what do you think so far?
0: I have a lot of thoughts. My first thought, which you might have mentioned, you might not mention, um... Or you might mention, you might not mention, is that she reminds me a lot of Yara. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, I actually hadn't thought of that. Because she also had an experience where she was being attacked by male members of her family and then went into the water and through the water became a goddess sort of figure. But also is considered is considered both a goddess sort of figure and also a vengeful spirit figure, mm-hmm. but also still very respected in many ways. Yara is a super common name in, for girls in Brazil, even though she's kind of a scary figure, which is really interesting. And so she's not just like all evil. She's also like kind of a positive figure or like a respected figure as well. Yeah. Um, and so that sort of reminds me of her because it's the same idea of she was being. And I think there was there might have also been some marriage involved There might not have been I can't remember I think she was being attacked by her brother is what I most remember and she escaped by like running into the river and then became a river yeah and we also
1: talked in the Yara episode about how lonely Yara must be you know, mm-hmm, I think yeah. that's a theme in Sedna's story as well, and also mm-hmm. Yara is often depicted as a mermaid,
0: right? Yeah, she is. Yeah, she is a lot of
1: as is Sedna.
0: Really, that's so cool.
1: Spoiler for the later in the notes, but yeah,
0: <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah,
1: they are very similar. Um, and then
0: also she kind of reminded, yeah, she also kind of reminded me of Pershta in the specific way that first of all, I don't think Sedna is specifically associated with like the winter, but I think I had that association simply because I know she's associated with uh, the Arctic, Arctic area so like it's colder yeah but Pakta is kind of associated with upholding of specific observances and ritual and in yeah. that way she reminds me of that though she's sort of like this goddess figure that's in charge of upholding um making sure you're following certain rituals you're eating certain things on certain days yeah. you're upholding certain mm-hmm. feasts you're not working on certain days is the big thing for percha and then for this it's like you're not mixing land animals with aquatic animals and you're yeah definitely um, treating the animals that you've killed like properly and things like that. Yeah. So they're both yeah. sort of associated with the upholding of certain ritual aspects, which is interesting. Um, yeah, they both
1: act as sort of like moral...
0: Yeah, moral guides.
1: Judges. Yeah.
0: Um, and also interesting because if like Sedna's kind of a frightening figure, I mean, I guess it makes sense that the moral guides are also kind of frightening because it's like what will happen to you if you don't follow the moral guide.
1: Yeah, I mean, the way authority figures are frightening and the way she can yeah. be... You know, like, her, she can take out her rage on you extremely easily, and you have to kind of live in fear of that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is also very, it also feels kind of interesting what the story says, at least the very first story that you told. Which I think you said was the most popular one. Yeah. um, Is sort of says about marriage. Yeah. And like relationships between. Yeah. Women and men in that sort of society. And that she marries this guy because or this bird um, because he says like, oh, your life is going to be so great and you're going to be really happy. But then it turns out it's a lie and she's actually miserable, which I feel like is something that probably a lot of women couldn't relate to. Yeah, you're probably right. Is entering a marriage thinking, this will be great. This guy said he's going to care for me. We're going to be happy. And then it just turns out to not work out so well for whatever reason. Marriage is complicated. Relationships are complicated. People change and people aren't always the person that you think they're going to be. And then sort of the question of like the father and the role of the father in the story being like, first of all, the person who makes the daughter marry. um, And also then the person that takes over the woman again after she is no longer married married to the husband and the sort of like relationship between the father and the husband um, as sort of the guardians of women in a lot of sort of stories.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: And ideas societally. Yeah. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, no, I see what you mean. I um mm-hmm. I'm not sure actually because I don't know exactly what the the Inuit family structure looked like I don't know if it was for uh, any sort of forced marriage or anything like that yeah so I can't say for certain but I do definitely understand that analysis
0: yeah I mean this is not I don't also know that much about Inuit family structure and this is based on a pretty Western like sort of European American idea of marriage and gender analysis in society but it is interesting to examine and like yeah what the story i perceive the story to say and if there's a different like there's different roles i'm also interested in hearing about that as well because obviously there are different perspectives and different ways this could be interpreted that i don't know about yeah because i'm not an expert
1: yeah i view her like refusal to marry a human man and her then deciding or not deciding but like resulting in her marrying an animal as like her own transgressions against the rules of society Mm -hmm. you know like yeah and that and that is what then leads to the other events, and it leads to her death, and then leads to her sort of vengeful spirit self, who then punishes other people's transgressions. You know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like to me, I I have to like think about the analysis where like okay, but she also transgresses societal norms, mm-hmm. even though later in life she will trans she will punish people who do the same thing. I'm like, well, what to make of that? But
0: oh, that's interesting. Yeah,
1: but like, cause like she wasn't punished by like nature or like spirits. She was punished by other people, and she then becomes part of nature and then punishes people. You know, like it's kind of opposite. Yeah, unless
0: like it's her punishment slash fate to continue to punish people for making like similar thing- choices. True, you could
1: also view it like that. Like that's her. That's her punishment for marrying her a bird. like
0: Sisyphus. Her Sisyphus moment of like, yeah, she's forever <laughs> condemned to punish people. Or whatever. Yeah.
1: Or yeah. Whatever. And I do think that her existence is a really lonely, just sitting at the bottom of the sea. She's separate from her community or and from any people. Like the sea creatures are like her children. But she doesn't But
0: also then she has some cool sea creatures to hang out with, like
1: I <laughs> Yeah, I mean true. <laughs> I don't know. I mean maybe she's maybe she's not lonely, so maybe it's like a Yara moment where it's like maybe she loves her life and loves being apart from everyone and just is like chillin'. You know, yeah. we don't know. But I, I, I mean, do think that there's like a loneliness to her story because she is like pushed out of human society and mm-hmm. her fingers are cut off. Like that is that is tragic.
0: I mean, that is that is brutal and upsetting. Like that aspect of the story is brutal and upsetting every time you hear it. Like it's so incredibly painful and intimate.
1: Yeah, it is extremely upsetting. It's really sad. And mm-hmm. you have to think about like her trying to hang on with every last finger, which then yeah, oh is my cut off.
0: Oh my gosh! Ugh, yeah, it's awful. Like truly.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, life comes out of it. Like, she creates seals and walruses.
0: Mm-hmm. That's good. <laughs> and like seals and walruses are so important. Like when you're living that, like in those societies, because yeah, they're they're very important animals. They're food. You use them for clothes and things like that. Like they're so important.
1: Yeah, and she be- she becomes so important because of her association with yeah, with sea animals and like animals in general, because sometimes she controls all animals, even land animals,
0: interesting, okay. yeah, and so she, she can
1: withhold the animals from people interesting if she if she chooses, even like caribou yeah. and bears.
0: Yeah, crazy.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so the the, the Sedna myth is really fascinating for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. Sedna and her story contain a great amount of power, and this permeates all aspects of Inuit life. It's not just an important story, it's also something that governs people's daily life, and their rituals, and the rules that they follow, and the food that they get. You know, Mm -hmm. and according to Harold Seidelman in The Inuit Imagination, Arctic Myth and Sculpture, the Sedna myth raises the most profound fears of Inuit life notably fear of the elements and fear of isolation and loss of human identity. Mm-hmm. And the tragedy of her myth is her separation from family, community, and the human world. Her punishment for violating mm-hmm. essential rules of behavior, such as refusing to marry, is eternal separation from humankind. And it's often noted how separate she is and how lonely she is at the bottom of the freezing ocean with no one around.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I also find it interesting that Sedna's fate... Is still controlled by her community, even after she becomes a spirit. The people live in fear of upsetting her because she could withhold animals from them. But Sedna's own well-being is also determined by them, since their transgressions cause her hair to tangle. Mm-hmm. So it's not like exactly even in power, but like it is mutual. Like it's a cycle. Yeah. The people need her, but she also needs them. Mm-hmm. Which I and mean, I feel like there's like multiple ways you could see this. You could see her as a victim, even after she dies and becomes a very, very powerful deity. She's still Subject to human activity and like Mm -hmm. the things that her community does. But at the same time, I mean, she's obviously extremely powerful. Like she gets to decide if humans are behaving badly, she can punish them. She obviously has a lot of power in this situation. She controls the sea animals, but she can also she controls people's livelihood more even than just the animals. Because obviously. Mm they are incredibly important in many aspects of human life.
0: It feels to me like a big part of it is kind of mutual mutual exchange and mutual care because yeah. it's sort of like do this thing, like treat the animals well and properly. Like the thing about pouring water into the animals' mouths after you kill them in order to make sure their like, thirst is satisfied is, you know, it's an act of care. It's treating the animals that you need for survival. You kill for survival with respect, you know? and Exactly, yeah. And like the image of the shaman who goes to untangle. And comb her hair. It's like you know, it's just an act of care. It's taking care. Definitely. Of it's like being kind and gentle. With but it's a
1: very intimate act. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Giving her some moments of like care and tenderness. Yeah,
0: that is very much just you know, you take care of each other, and in that exchange, you know, you get the an- the animals continue to come, and you continue to get the food and stuff that you need from them, and. You continue to be able to interact in the same way. Yeah. Like, in the healthy way. And if you sort of mess up and, like, or don't treat them properly, then, of course, they're going to get mad and, like, be mad that you disrespected them because it's got to, there's got to be that level of mutual respect between the two groups.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's clear from my view that like the rules that she upholds are not just arbitrary and they don't serve Sedna specifically. They are, Mm -hmm. a a lot of them are about respect for the environment and like Mm -hmm. proper rituals. Some of them have to do with like bodily cleanliness, but Mm
0: -hmm.
1: yeah, many of them have to do with nature and the environment, like respecting the animals that you kill and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like I was saying, like another layer to this relationship is that many of the rules governing the Inuit people that Sedna enforces directly relate to interactions with nature and the environment. And when people mm-hmm. don't respect the environment, Sedna's hair becomes dirty and tangled, which seems to act as an analogy against pollution and treating nature badly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Sedna, pollution also results in the scarcity of resources and famine. Mm-hmm. So the relationship between Sedna and the Inuit is indicative of humans' relationship with nature. It's reciprocal. You respect the earth, the earth provides you with more abundant resources, but if you treat the earth badly, you will suffer. Mm -hmm. There's, like, an environmental aspect to it as well. Mm -hmm. Also, there's, like, an aspect of, like, and this is, like, more of kind of a modern view, but of keeping Inuit traditions alive. And this like, I mean, I kind of talk about this a little bit more later, but, like, she is sort of, in a way, she's, like, a benefactor... Of the Inuit, she gives them the animals. Sometimes she also takes them away. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think she's just very, very interesting. I feel there's a, like a lot of analysis to be had in her story. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the significance of like the animal marriage?
0: Well, it's interesting. I think your idea of a transgression against like nature is an interesting way to interpret it because I think, again, as I said, the idea of her Ben being sort of sentenced to punish those who commit similar transgressions against nature is an interesting. F- fate to have interesting and sad yeah because she like committed a transgression when it's interpreted as the father being like well if you won't marry a man just marry this dog i think it feels pretty straightforward as a disrespectful thing that happens to her because she refuses to marry but otherwise like i don't really know i guess
1: sometimes she has dog children
0: yeah i mean i guess it could also just, just fun fact show for you that is a fun fact thank you Um, (laughs) I can also just show like she has this sort of connectivity with nature even before she becomes a goddess so like when she her fingers get cut off and they become whales and walruses and seals we already saw she had that like level of connection with animals already that like other people around her didn't have maybe I don't know
1: it is so interesting that like her fingers become sea creatures like she like Mm -hmm. you said she must have had some sort of connection with the sea yeah like the land yeah in order for that to happen. Yeah. Like, there's a reason why she specifically, her fingers turned to seals, right? Something about her specifically must be faithful that that happens.
0: hmm Yeah, I agree. I'm
1: sure it doesn't just happen to just anyone who loses their fingers in the ocean.
0: I think it, I mean, a lot of the times when such events happen, it feels sort of like a condemnation of the injustice that's being, like, done upon the person, like. Yeah. She is being treated really badly by being, like, mutilated in this way, and therefore the powers that be in this world can't, like, undo it, but they can give a sort of new life and a sense of purpose to her fingers or whatever other piece of hers. Yeah. Getting cut off. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's beautiful that, like, from violent mutilation can come life.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a common theme in mythology, to be honest. There's so
1: much, like, circle of life stuff happening, like, cycles and... Yeah, <laughs> and s- yeah relationships being reciprocal Mm -hmm. and all that stuff like Mm -hmm. I don't know it's very like balanced Mm -hmm. in this story yeah like for something bad something good comes of it and yeah you're right that is definitely like a thing in mythology like for sure Mm -hmm. do you know what parallel I saw of Sedna that I thought was interesting and that I hadn't thought of until it was brought up Iphigenia
0: I also see that because of the father connection And the forced marriage connection.
1: Yeah, that, and then, like, the murder of Epigenia from Greek mythology Mm -hmm. by her father, too. Yeah. Then, well, like, because obviously in a lot of versions of Epigenia, she doesn't die. She goes and serves a goddess and yeah, possibly becomes a goddess herself. And that's kind of the same thing with Sedna because she gets mm-hmm. new spiritual life after this mutilation. Like, she, she then becomes mm-hmm. a powerful spirit.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. That was pretty interesting. Yeah, I do think that's an interesting connection.
1: Yeah, and I think in Iphigenia, it's very, like, this woman's life ended before it began. And it's, like, such a tragedy. And it, But it's, like, necessary for war, blah, blah, blah. Which, like, obviously, Sedna's story is not about war. <laughs> but... Mm-hmm yeah i mean
0: i think it's just also like you shouldn't treat people this way
1: yeah yeah it can be as simple as that
0: don't throw someone overboard and cut off their fingers one by one you know
1: yeah don't do that
0: that's bad don't do that you know it's sometimes is like a very simple interpretation she will
1: come back and punish you yeah she'll
0: have dogs gnaw off your hands and feet
1: yeah and like she has to put it as vengeful but i also feel like she's she's very reasonable like, she yeah. wants people to do things in a specific way. Mm-hmm. She doesn't, like... She's not, like, fickle. She's not selfish.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Like, she's definitely fearsome, but I don't think she's unfair.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, also in general, like, the ocean is a scary force of nature. The ocean
1: is so scary.
0: Like, it's very helpful and important in many ways, but also absolutely terrifying, unable, like, impossible to control and can be incredibly deadly in the... Yeah, yeah if you're unlucky so yeah it makes sense that and it's also um, an
1: important resource and is filled with water like water
0: and, like, a life-giving animals. resource like yeah well not seawater, but yeah
1: i mean you can filter the water can't you i don't i don't know if- okay i don't know anything about how drinking water is made anyways anyway <laughs> um anyway so back to the Animal marriage. So in versions where she marries a bird, it's usually a fulmar, which is a carrion-eating bird Mm. and therefore spiritually dangerous. Yeah,
0: that makes sense.
1: Yeah, they're known to have an oily and unpleasant taste and smell and yet they are still hunted and eaten.
0: Mm.
1: The fulmars are often the first birds to appear in the spring, and are therefore a welcome change after months of eating walrus and bear meat. Mm. Therefore, they can be seen as a symbol of superficial attractiveness. They represent the promise of warmth, light, and abundance of food that comes with spring, but the taste of their flesh is unpleasant. And I feel like this representation can be seen in a story where the fulmar promises her abundance and a life of luxury, But in reality, her Mm -hmm. life with the Fulmar is desolate and miserable. Mm -hmm. So that's the significance of the Fulmar, possibly. And as for the
0: dog. Do you think there's like a sense that, you know, part of her is also in the wrong for being tempted by this life of abundance and like luxury, and then that's like a shallow promise? You know what I mean? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe, or more, or maybe it's
1: just kind of like a, not necessarily condemning, but sort of a warning against superficial
0: stuff. Uh huh. Yeah.
1: I don't know. But as for the dog... The only thing I could find is that because they lived in a close relationship with humans, dogs were thought to have no souls of their own as well as no spiritual powers oh. in any way in culture. Therefore, her choice to marry a dog represents a rejection of both the human world and the spirit world, and she puts herself outside of the protection of either.
0: Mm, okay. She doesn't
1: marry a human, so she's not in the human world, but also the dog has no spiritual powers. Mm-hmm. Thus, she's just on her own. Mm-hmm. So, as for like the feminist implication, So, Uh as we see in a lot of post colonial spaces, the Eurocentric colonizing forces made the state of women's rights much worse for Inuit women. Mm -hmm. Prior to colonization, Inuit women were respected by their communities, there was an equal division of labor between men and women. And women were allowed to occupy influential social positions however uh these views were altered by colonial forces Mm -hmm. and women were subjected to western misogyny and have been and this is important to note when discussing contemporary views of sedna and particularly as it relates to art modern inuit use art as a means to strengthen cultural identity and connect to their culture mythology is an important source for inuit artists and sedna is depicted very frequently and notably by a lot of female artists. Cool. Sedna occupies an important maternal position, and she can represent female power and a subversion of the male-dominated society that colonization brought. She is used as a feminist symbol in a lot of art, as well as a symbol of Inuit culture and identity. And something I feel like is important to note is that Sedna is one of the most important or possibly the most important of all the deities in Inuit mythology, which, okay, there aren't that many important ones, but, like, she is very,
0: very important. Yeah, that's very cool.
1: And notably, she is used in contemporary art to express threats against the Inuit. So one example is Niyokuluk TV's drawing, untitled in parentheses Sedna by the Sea, where she depicts Sedna sitting on a rock by the ocean, smoking a cigarette while looking at the land littered with debris while a large truck spills oil nearby. Mm -hmm. And so Sedna is used here as a comment on concerns that threaten life in the Arctic, and she is depicted looking Mm -hmm. dejected and apathetic having lost control of her domain by the effect of colonizing forces. And this drawing expresses what happens when people preach respect for the sea and also represents a similar disregard for Inuit culture and life.
0: Yeah, that's a very powerful image.
1: Definitely. And younger generations of Inuit are fascinated by Sedna. And in addition to feminist work, Sedna is also invoked in order to explore culturally significant relationships between the human world and the non-human world. Sedna is used to fortify Inuit culture and identity, and particularly By women artists who are at the forefront of leading the fight to improve the well being of their communities. And I feel like, I hope that I impressed this with what I have said so far, but like, I feel like Sedna, she is a very Inuit specific figure. Like, she couldn't just exist anywhere. Her story is not Mm -hmm. one that you could place in any other culture. Mm -hmm. Like, she is very indicative of Inuit values and culture.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And the specific landscape in the Arctic as well. Mm -hmm. But um, I hope I've impressed that view um so something interesting is that despite it not being mentioned in most versions of the myth i alluded to this earlier or i said it outright she is often portrayed as half human and half sea creature right. so like in a, in a mermaid like way yeah yeah, yeah. yeah yeah her depictions and sculpture in particular but also other art forms show her with the tail of a fish seal or whale nice so much mermaid yeah pretty cool
0: cool pretty fun. i love the seal and whale idea. Yeah, yeah. It is it is pretty cool. fun.
1: Yeah. And like she's not mentioned as being half fish or anything in most versions. Her form, her physical appearance really isn't said. Besides having
0: her hair that's like tangled
1: But even the thing about her hair isn't said in the story Uh Like that's a cultural thing But it's not not in the story Mm -hmm. Yeah and so like why Is she depicted as a mermaid When she's not really described that way It can be a way to show that Sedna is a supernatural being Indicating her transformation And her association with sea animals While herself Mm -hmm. being neither a human Nor an animal Because human women and sea creatures Both exist in the natural world And are depicted by Inuit artists So the representation of Sedna As being half human and half sea creature Is like a unique iconography That embodies her story And points to her spiritual associations It's unique to her It shows the supernatural qualities And you wouldn't like look at that And like you wouldn't see just a human woman And say oh yeah that's Sedna Like there has to be unique things Also she's often depicted without her fingers obvious reasons
0: that makes sense yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and that's really cool too
1: yeah and i I think it's interesting like that there's like a very visual like very important part of her story and it's the part where she is hanging onto the boat and getting her fingers cut off that's like rare to depict in art Mm -hmm. but i think that's fair because it's like very violent you know Mm-hmm. It's a very. I mean, like, it's
0: definitely a powerful moment, but it, like, it's probably one that's hard to, that's like, would be difficult and emotional, like emotionally, yeah. like, challenging to depict in art. You know, as an artist. Yeah, it's like it's a
1: striking visual, but it's not. And it's like the it's, it's like the thing that appears in like all of her stories, but it's not what people mm-hmm. to piss. I think that makes a lot of sense.
0: It's so, like they don't want to focus on like this one moment of trauma and pain. They focus on like what comes after as a result of it. You know.
1: Yeah. And, like, her story is very important. Her story is told to everyone, but her presence in everyday life seems to be more important in art rather than, like, scenes from her story. That's my impression. Mm -hmm. I can't say that that's, like, a fact because I'm just saying that, but yeah. And there are, of course, also depictions of Sedna's story in literature, and her story has been adopted by Inuit writers many times. Cool. And one example I have is Alutuk Lee's 1992 short story, Summit with Sedna, the Mother of Sea Beasts. Cool. So this story depicts Sedna as a survivor of sexual abuse who cannot experience sexual pleasure. Oh. And then a shaman needs to go and attend to her and solve her problem. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And the story is another example of using the figure of Sedna as a way to discuss threats to the Inuit community. In this case, not only sexual abuse, but also the effects of colonialism and the mistreatment of women. And it also impressed Mm -hmm. the importance of solidarity among Inuit peoples and preserving Inuit culture. And this isn't, I believe, discussed explicitly in the story, but like the whole, the problem of sexual abuse. It was a problem that that has faced Inuit communities, specifically during the time of residential schools. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's one example of a short story. It's online if you want to read it. Cool. Also, speaking of the sea being terrifying, this segue makes sense in my head. It might not, realistically. There is a dwarf planet named after her. Really? Okay, I feel like the sea is terrifying, space is terrifying. Kind of the same thing. Whatever. Anyway. Okay. It was... Okay, so Sedna, the dwarf planet, was discovered in 2003 by American astronomers. And also, this was in the period before scientific debates about what constitutes a planet occurred in 2006. Do you remember this... The whole it was a huge thing when Pluto I do remember didn't the whole Pluto
0: no longer a planet got demoted. So was this so Sedna was deci- was a planet.
1: She okay. Well, there was debates at the time. Did this start the debates? It didn't start the debates. It was like this was before. This was like two years before. Uh-huh. But there was debate at the time of whether Sedna could possibly be a tenth planet.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah. That'd be exciting for those uh just dis- those astronomers.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Then Pluto got demoted. I actually remember vaguely being in elementary school and people were upset about it. Mm -hmm. They were like, this is so sad. Dresses for Pluto. That kind of thing. Just unlocked that memory.
0: That's exactly what they were saying. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Anyway, so Sedna, the dwarf planet, is extremely distant from the sun. It is three times farther than Pluto or Neptune. Jeez. And also has the second longest orbit of any known celestial body. Wow. Of approximately 11,400 years. Cool. I don't know much about astronomy, so I was reading a bunch of stuff about Sedna, the planet, dwarf planet, and it impressed Uh upon me that it's very important astronomically, but I did not understand all of it. So if anyone's into astronomy, you should look it up. Cool. Nice. Yeah, and so... One of the astronomers that discovered Sedna, I read a article that he published to his website in like 2004, and here is a quote from it: "Our newly discovered object is the coldest, most distant place known in the solar system, so we feel it is appropriate to name it in honor of Sedna, the Inuit goddess of the sea, who is thought to live at the bottom of the frigid Arctic Ocean."
0: Yeah, that is appropriate, and that's cool.
1: It is cool and I do want to say that was this was written in 2004 that's probably not current the thing about it being the most distant and coldest place in the solar system yeah mm. but yeah I think that's so true I, first of all I think it's cool that she has an astronomical body named after it and that it's something actually mm-hmm. quite significant not like a random meteor yeah or something
0: yeah not some random meteor ugh <laughs> I
1: don't, maybe meteors aren't that random maybe that's I don't know anything about astronomy to be honest anyway though I don't either it's
0: fine it's fine
1: <laughs> And also, like the reason for naming it Sedna. It's so like cutting and like sad. It's appropriate. It is appropriate. It's I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. sad. Like, this is the view of Sedna that she's extremely cold and lonely all the time. Probably she is. And I think it I think it's fun to be like, here's her at the bottom of the sea and her here's her in the middle of the vast solar system,
0: yeah, that is cool. You know, she's a very powerful and uh, significant figure and a very interesting figure as well. Mm -hmm. Um, She is. Yeah. Thank you for telling us about her. It's really interesting.
1: I really like her. I really liked reading about her and I encourage others to read about her as well. Yeah. Because I think her story is so interesting and I think it's really cool that her story can be used in a sense of preserving Inuit culture and ideals, and just in general, like, a symbol of fighting for the Arctic, because obviously there are many struggles that the Inuit people face. Sedna can be kind of a a symbol for these fights, and I think that's great. I think it's great that she permeates daily life, and it extends to Inuit people's fight against their colonizers. Yeah. I think it's beautiful. I know that she's very scary and fearsome, but... Her story is also very beautiful.
0: I think she's right to be scary and fearsome. Yeah. In our um, show notes and episode description, we're going to have some resources about how you can help the Inuit people in their continuing fight to save the Arctic and to fight against the continuing colonization of their land and resources. Yes. So please check that out. And thank you so much. Great. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you enjoyed, please feel free to subscribe, leave a review, tell all your friends, and we'll be back here in two weeks with another episode. Thank you. Goodbye. Mythaladies podcast is produced by Elizabeth Lacroix and Zoe Kenninger. Today's episode was researched and presented by Elizabeth Lacroix. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Mythaladies, and visit us on our website at Mythaladies.com. Our cover art is by Helena Cayo. Our music was written and performed by Icarus Tyree. Thanks for listening!